Download a podcast from Relay FM recorded June 29th, 2017. This is episode number 10, Banished to My Office. download a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am Jason Snell, your host, and this week I'm joined by two wonderful guests returning to download for her first return visit. It is Serenity Caldwell from iMore. Hello. Hello. I'm glad to be here on this fine show with you, Jason. Welcome back. It's good. It's good to be with you here on this show today. Um, also here, we worked very hard through microphone issues and other things to get him to make his <laughs> debut on download from the Nod podcast on Gimlet Media. It is James T. Green. Hi, James. Hey, it's good to meet y'all. Uh, exciting news about about the podcast that you're working on. Last time I talked to you, you were working, I think, at MTV, and now you're uh, now you're at Gimlet working on the Nod. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of big changes made around in the world of media. You know, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of changes. I think you moved since the last time I talked to you when you were on Clockwise too. So there's a lot. A lot that going on. is right. That is right. I was in Chicago at that time, and now I'm in New York. All right. Well, it's good to have you here. We're gonna let's talk about some stories on a what was basically a kind of a slow news week. So, so st- my producer Stephen Hackett, who by the way shaved his beard and now looks younger than his own very young children, uh, put we put together some stories for you. Hi, Stephen. Uh, hi, Jason. I, I, I may look young, but I'm still an old man at heart. At heart. Well, that's that's good, and you've got the computers to prove it. Uh, okay, all right. The most interesting stories, as Stephen and I uh, have have chosen for this week. Topic number one, you know, the passage of time is always good for a story or five, and therefore, the, the, about this place in the Earth's revolution around the sun, ten, time, ten revolutions ago, the iPhone came out, ten years old, as we're recording this today. In fact, I think I got my hands on an iPhone about ten years ago at this exact moment. Um, so... Let's just start. I, I'm curious uh, what your memories of of your life ten years ago, and what f- did you have a phone? What phone were you using? And did you get the original iPhone, or did you uh, did you uh, were you forced to wait a little while? James, what what's your what's your where were you ten years ago? Oh man, I remember like just uh, seeing it for the first time. I remember like when I I was calling around. I lived in a very small town in Illinois, and I was calling around to see who had the iPhone. There were no Apple stores by me, and I begged I begged my parents to drive me up to the nearest mall. We went to the AT and T store. And I remember seeing it. And it was weird. They put like this weird little kiosk behind it. It was like a giant kiosk in like the ugliest AT&T store imaginable. And it was just like this iPhone on this platform. And it was, I was with my dad and we like freaked out. Like we, we just did the scrolling and we were like, what? This is amazing. <laughs> we, um, we, we used to have uh, T-Mobile uh, sidekicks at the time. And we were just kind of blown away. Like we, we just did the scrolling and then we were like, holy crap, like you can do maps. Like it it was, it was wild. It was wild. And I, I couldn't afford the original one, but I had saved enough um, when the 3g came around and I was like, this is it. Like I, it was, it was like the future. I was freaking out. Yeah. Ren, how about you? What was your, what was your 10 year ago experience? Oh, man. So I spoiled this a little bit on Twitter. Um, But I was a poor college student in 2007. uh, So I did not get the iPhone. Although I remember being uh, at my parents house and and being really, really excited when the keynote happened. Um, But I didn't actually get my hands on an iPhone until that fall. My dad was working for Apple retail, and he was given one um as uh, the, all of the apple retail employees got original iPhones of course and uh i was using it uh to navigate us in the car which i thought was bananas um and then i was like oh i wonder if i can look at daring fireball and i load <laughs> daring fireball on an edge connection in my car or in my yeah in my car in massachusetts 
you know, in standstill traffic. And I just remember having this feeling of like utter shock that I'm that I'm like, I'm reading the real web in a car on the highway while my parents are driving. Like, what is going on? <laughs> and the Daring Fireball desi- uh, site design hasn't changed since then. <laughs> it has not. It has not changed one bit. It's still that beautiful, beautiful gray. Soothing gray, yes. <laughs> soothing, soothing slate gray. Yeah, so I did not get on the initial iPhone train, which I, I still kind of regret. My dad teases me about it to this day. He's like, <laughs> I still have it. Uh, but I did get a 3G when it came out that next summer. Um, and basically was on the iPhone train ever since. Um, and I had a Sony Ericsson 710A, oh, yeah. which before I got the oh, iPhone, yeah. I still hold was probably one of the best pre-smartphones ever to exist. It had a, a really bitchin' camera um, for, for a smartphone. It was like, what, 1.6 or 1.8 megapixels, but it looked like a 3-megapixel camera because the, the sensor was huge. And it took really nice photos. It had a flash, which was kind of yeah. like a really a real a real flash, which was kind of unheard of on a camera. It was thick. It was like super super indestructible. But I loved that thing until I got my iPhone. Ren, do you remember what your ringtone was? Oh God, on the Sony Ericsson? No, because I never used it. I I refused to have noise come out of my phone. <laughs> yeah, I had one of those. Um Sony Ericsson, like the iSync phone, the one of the first ones that Apple had that oh. could sync. And it was, you know, it was a, but it was like a candy bar phone and, you know, it had like snake on it because that was really cool. Um, yeah. Stephen Hackett, uh, you, I want to bring you in here too. What were you, what were you doing 10 years ago? What's your iPhone story? I was working at the Apple store. So, no! uh, <laughs> Ren's dad is way cooler than I am. I actually missed the cutoff to be a full time employee to get the phone by like, two weeks or something like it was so close it was really painful but yeah i worked at my apple store so uh you know we had all the windows blacked out across the front of the store we closed early because the store the stores reopened i think 5 p.m local time so it's like a rolling across the country as opposed to everything coming out you know the same same time and we pulled the curtains down to a line of people all the way my store was in an outdoor mall all the way down the building, wrapping around the parking lot, going around behind another building. The news were there. You know, people, uh, this couple from uh, New Orleans had come up and had been camping out in front of our Apple store for like four days. No one else joined them in line until like the night before. So they were just there on their own, like fending off a line that no one else cared about yet, which was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, so my first experience was in the retail store before they went on sale. And you know, I was uh, a genius in training, uh, and I just remember being so impressed by the hardware and software and was jealous that I couldn't get one. I got one, uh, you know, maybe a couple months later once they were kind of available to, to purchase, but because uh, those initial ones sold out, people may, may have forgotten. But kind of like um, James, you're talking about like you and your dad going in and like doing the scrolling. Like, that's the thing everybody says, but like, that's the thing that really did it for me. It was like this thing, like it, it's doing so much more than, I, than, you know, my Treo or, or any other handheld device I've seen, you know, it just, it's so much more than any of those things. And I don't know if I understood where it would be a decade later, but I definitely understood a couple things. One, the iPod is doomed, right? Like <laughs> as soon as I can get my hands on one of these, I'm not carrying an iPod around anymore. Uh, and, and two, that, you know, it, it felt, it instantly felt special. Like it had that spark in it that attracted me to the Macintosh at the, you know, the beginning. So, um, so yeah, I was there, you know, wearing a t-shirt and sold a bunch of phones that night and then went home. And then the next morning had to tell a bunch of people that we had no more phones to sell and they were sad, but so sad. I got, um, I got to, uh, use it briefly in a briefing in January when it wasn't done, where you launch certain apps and they were like just screenshots of mock-ups of what the app might look like when they finally got to build it, which is hilarious. But I, I was supposed to be asking questions of uh, Apple executives while I was, I was supposed to be looking at it and also interviewing them basically simultaneously. And I realized that I could just, I was no longer able to form complete sentences as I was scrolling around on it and looking at the, that screen too, not a retina screen by any stretch of the imagination, but it was about twice as um, high density as a Mac was at that point. It was about 150 DPI instead of 72 DPI. And so it looked so much sharper than a computer screen. And that people don't remember, and we've all said it, like the touchscreen interaction 
in that at that time was like you would have a little stylus and you would kind of like force like if you've ever used people today i would say if you've ever encountered like a really bad touchscreen somewhere like maybe on a credit card reader at the at the drugstore or something where you have to kind of like press really hard to get it to recognize the button press on the touchscreen that's what all the touchscreens were like and then the iphone comes along and you just kind of lay your finger on the glass and the interface moves under your finger and and, and it's that higher resolution interface and yeah that was the moment where um where you're like oh my god this is not uh, this is not like anything that i've used before like this is a, 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 an artifact that fell through a wormhole from the future that's that mm-hmm. I, I i occasionally mm-hmm. writing about technology i get that feeling but that was the most blatant one feeling i've ever gotten in in that in that category it was it was it was mind-blowing really it, re- it really was so 10 years on right so lots of think pieces this week about the the iPhone and as the sort of official start of the smartphone era as we think of it now. There were smartphones before. Stephen mentioned the Palm Trio. I had a Palm Trio too. It was huge. It didn't do a very good job of uh, serving the web, but you could check your email with it and pay exorbitant amounts of money on the cellular data, which is another innovation of the iPhone is that it, it basically they knew you were going to rip through your data plan. So they just gave you an unlimited data plan. <laughs> it's like, all right, go, go to town, but that's what you had to get. But um, in all these think pieces, um, where we're talking about Apple and the and the smartphone as we know it today, I think it's worth at least asking: how, Are we overdoing it in terms of giving Apple credit for 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 this? Was this going to come along anyway? Is it uh, something with a with a, a hundred different parents and not just sort of like full blown from the mind of Steve Jobs and the people who work for him? How much credit does Apple deserve for uh, kicking off the smartphone revolution? Ren, what do you think? So much credit. Honestly, um, you know, I, I am all for taking a step back and really analyzing like what aspect Apple has brought to, to this area. But really, when you think about it, um, you know, Tim Cook likes to say, and Steve Jobs before him, like, this is something only Apple could do, right? Um, one of the, the great coup d'etats of the century was, as you mentioned with the, the data plan, the fact that Apple was able to introduce a phone on a carrier without any branding on its device with an unlimited data plan um, that essentially just completely shattered the notion of what a smartphone was supposed to look like. And yes, I mean, you can argue that BlackBerry did a lot of the early legwork by making us even think about the fact that, oh, smart, you know, a a smarter phone is possible um, and Palm before it with Palm Pilots. But really, like, I... I feel like Apple, if Apple had not introduced the iPhone, we would have just seen Sony Ericsson's, you know, idea of the future, which was just more weird graphical interfaces and really cool cameras. Because I think a lot of a lot of the cell phone industry got the idea that that like personal photography in your pocket was going to be huge. Uh, But what I don't think they got was just the connection a to third party apps um, and B, to having the, the full internet in your pocket and not like the specialized, broken down mobile internet, you know, barely text only. Maybe you got images if you were really, really lucky. Like the, that is huge, but it's, it's, it's apps, I think, that really have made the difference. Like if we think about how much, <laughs> how much our lives personally, but also the entire world has changed so much because of mobile apps in our pockets. You know, I think about the services that I use on a daily basis, and at least half of them would not exist without the App Store and without the iPhone. Which it took a year, right? It took a year for yeah, the uh, for, for the App Store to be there, and I I do remember very clearly that um, when the iPhone was announced, everybody immediately started thinking, well, there need to be third party apps from this, but Apple wasn't ready for that yet. James, uh, what do you think? How much credit does Apple deserve in the in in the big big picture here? Hmm. So I feel like Apple gets the credit for like making the complete package in like an attractive box as you will. And like, of course, like having all the marketing. Um, But like, I personally feel like 
it would have happened. Like, um, and the reason why I'm like really thinking that in the way is like, so I recently read this piece. Um, it was called The iPhone Was an Inevitable. It was on The Atlantic. Uh, I believe Alexis Madrigal um, wrote it. And he was talking about this guy named Mark Porat. Um, he's CEO of this company. He also recruited two Apple employees. And like they had this uh, mock-up of this device. And he had like you sketched it out and it legit like looked just like an iPhone. And this was like 94. But like, of course, like in 94, you don't have the technology necessary to make this thing. Like you have all these people thinking of these ideas, but nobody can necessarily make it. And it seemed like Apple was the only company that was able to like kind of create all these visions. You know, we've seen it in movies and everything to make it like at a price that was affordable enough for so many people to market it in a way that enough people found it attractive and had the story enough to say like, hey, you really want a piece of glass in your pocket that can connect to the internet. And this is why. So I feel like they get the credit for that. But I feel like eventually somebody would have done it. But I'm definitely happy Apple did it. Um, Like, I can accredit so much to that dang device like (laughs) it's it's yeah it's it's incredible the uh i I think sure i i do think that it was inevitable because you could see all these different things converging although i do wonder how long it would have taken for us to get there given that like android was inside of google at this point but the initial versions of android looked like a blackberry that was their model and then they saw the iphone they're like okay forget forget this we're doing that i do wonder (laughs) how far down the email rabbit hole we would have gone because all of the smartphones were basically purpose-built for email and it was it was the, the the breakthrough i've been thinking about it a lot this week i think safari was the real breakthrough where apple coming from the perspective of the mac instead of like up from the ipod said we're going to put a full browser on this thing at which point you realized oh like plus no hardware keyboard makes it maybe less good for email as a dedicated email device but a better multitasker multi-purpose device and now you've got everything on the web accessible to you and suddenly it's like oh right this is a, a computer in my pocket on the internet and not it might have taken a little while for us to get there if we were so focused on like uh, maybe camera and like email as the instead of having that broader thing i i don't i don't know it's it we'll never know unless somebody can open up a hole to a parallel universe (laughs) or something but uh it feels like a lot of the pieces were there i just feel like apple was able to put it together i don't know five years sooner than anybody else would have been able to something like that i don't know who can tell um but it just the the fact that they they took those pieces but they also innovated a bunch sometimes apple just put stuff together right like like only apple can assemble these parts into a full product they're they're really good at that but this was like they took some parts and they invented a bunch of stuff and they made this thing and they gave them so they're now it's the bulk of their business right um so they they let them benefit from it how does uh, let's talk about that a little bit how does apple how has apple changed like what obviously the iphone has completely transformed apple as a company we thought the ipod was transformative but really the iphone has 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 the apple is essentially iphone incorporated and all of its other businesses are ancillary to the iphone at this point ren i know you were a fan of apple since you were uh since probably longer than you can remember since you you were uh, a little kid so you know think what do you think about like how apple is so different today than uh, 2007 i don't know i mean i feel like apple was very different in 1997 Versus 2007 sure. versus sure. 2017. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of change that's gone around, whether it's the current CEO or anything else. But I, one of the things that I think has stayed constant for Apple throughout the years is just is the, the culture. Right. There's Apple. Like when I think of Apple, I've always thought of really passionate people pushing the envelope, not content with just sitting on status quo, like they want to make interesting stuff happen. Um, And that, I think, has not changed throughout the years. What interesting things those those are like what direction we've gone since then. I think that's kind of altered a little bit. Uh, Tim Cook in particular, obviously is very passionate about health and security, which are honestly two areas that fit in Apple's core mission, right? To make, to make things better for its users and to be, you know, and, and to do so in a, in a great 
truly, you know, truly interesting way. Um, but I, I feel like the, the, the core culture, what makes in my mind, Apple, Apple has not changed. This, this, the set dressings, the, the spaceships have changed a little bit, but the, the core tenets, no. Stephen, what do you think? I mean, I agree with, with Rand that the sort of the core, the essence of the company, if you will, uh, is the same. But I think the biggest change is that even in 2007, even with the iPod on its rise, right? That was, you know, the tw- uh, 2005, 2006, you know, those were the sort of, I think the best iPods when the iPod really went mainstream. Even then, Apple was sort of an underdog company and definitely had that way of thinking about itself. And what the iPhone did was put Apple on top financially. They are, they got more cash in the bank than anyone else. They are secure until the sun explodes. Uh, that, you know, the, the company's not going away. That was not the case in 1997. Uh, they were very close to dying. And even I think in the, in the early aughts, there was a question of, is Apple going to ever grow past this certain size? I commend Apple for like, like Ren said, keeping the culture and keeping the mentality the same and the focus on products the same through that transition. But I think we see now, I think Apple still struggles with that, that there are, there are parts of Apple, both internally and, and in the fandom, that view Apple as the underdog. And everything against Apple has got to be a fight, right? I think a scrappy little company. That's not what Apple is anymore. Apple is now the you know, the, the giant elephant in the room and all of these conversations. And I think you just see them struggle with that sometimes. But uh, I think at the end of the day, the, the iPhone, you know, I think that's its biggest mark on Apple that it just, it changed what the company was from a, a not only like a size perspective, they're much bigger than they are now, but they sort of command attention in a way they never did before. James, any thoughts about Apple today versus Apple 10 years ago? Steven honestly t- took exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, like it, that's exactly what I was thinking a lot too. Like I used to work at an Apple store as well. I feel like we all have. And you, you can definitely like sense that there was like a before iPhone and after iPhone Apple vibe. Oh, and, yeah. it's, and it's like very interesting to kind of see the company adjust itself as like now being like a big dog like it's it's kind of like apple before was early era beyonce destiny's child (laughs) and now their current age beyonce and it's like you have to kind of see that shift of like how do you still try to be different when uh, but now you have like millions and millions of eyes like always writing about every single thing that you do nowadays and i think that's been really interesting i mean like i'm i'm looking right at my desk in front of me and i have like this ipad with ios 11 and like seeing all these like wild changes occur and it's exciting to see them still try things out and like have that scrappy mentality but like now they're on top i was thinking of it because this is me from a uh, almost like a superhero uh, perspective like you know Peter Parker is this nerdy kid who's uh, always getting beat up, and then he become you know he becomes Spider Man, and he's like, wait, well, wait a second, <laughs> am I the underdog anymore? Or do I have all these powers? What do I do with them? And it's a little like that. There's a um, there's a comic, great comic um, by Brian K. Vaughan called Paper Girls that's set in 1988, and uh, it has a, a science fictional time travel element. I'm not really giving too much away. There's a it's the end of the first issue, but they, there's an a, an object that has come back in time, and it's got an Apple logo on it, and it's just a funny comic where one of the kids is like huh at like apple but what is it and 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 it's like yeah well how far they've come since then when they were making like a weird non-standard non-compatible computers to being as powerful and dominant as they are now in in it in their industry it's kind of amazing all right um we got two more topics to go that are more uh, a little more about the present and not marking uh, marking anniversaries, which is good. Um, when I interviewed Steve Jobs way back when, one of the ground rules was no no talk about the past. I was like, but it's for the 20th anniversary of the Mac. They're like, no, don't talk about the past. So uh, we, we will move on to to 
topics that Steve would be more appreciative of, I think, the present. But first, let me tell you about uh, our sponsor for this episode of Download. It's Fresh Books. If you own a small business, you know what a chore administrative work can be. It's a grind. It's not why you got in the business, right? But it's something you have to do. Everybody feels like that. There are more than 5 million small businesses who felt the same way until they discovered Fresh Books. It's simple cloud accounting software. It transforms how small business owners handle their paperwork. It's great for invoicing. You create and send an invoice. It takes like 30 seconds. No formulas, no formatting, just perfectly crafted invoices every time. Your clients can pay online, which means you get paid faster. When I get a FreshBooks interfa- uh, invoice, I click a couple of times and it's paid and I get to move on with my life and know that I don't need to worry about it. It's taken care of. And those people get paid right away by me. It's great. Everybody is happy. There's a handy deposit feature. You can invoice for a payment upfront when you're starting a project. FreshBooks will even show show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice so you don't have to be like did they see it did it get filtered to spam it's like i know they saw it and that's good because then you can react accordingly this is just a fraction of what fresh books can do you owe it to yourself to break free from the boring administrative work break free from that grind let fresh books help you and your small business you can get a 30 day free trial 30 day free trial go to freshbooks.com slash download fm and enter download in the how did you hear about us section thank you to fresh books for their support of download all right on to weightier matters this week google was fined a mind-blowing 2.4 billion euros by the european commission i believe it is the european union about uh, for an antitrust violation, because they are uh, prioritizing, surprise, surprise, Google shopping results in Google searches. And the idea there is that they're making it harder for other companies to compete in a separate category from web search, which is online shopping, and that Google is leveraging their monopoly power in search in order to get business advantage in other categories, which is generally an antitrust no-no. Although there's lots of conversations about what is going to be a proposed solution to this, because $2.7 billion is not probably a huge amount of money to google but it adds up and there would be additional uh additional charges and additional fees if it doesn't change its behavior um and then there are lots of arguments about like what is the role of government oversight about uh antitrust because we've seen it that in the u.s for example uh, even though amazon was perceived as having a fairly large ebook monopoly when apple tried to use some collusion to get prices uh to get uh to break in against amazon the u.s sued them because even though the prices uh even though it was breaking up a monopoly the prices weren't going down in fact the prices were going up and as far as the u.s cared uh price was what mattered and the european union is saying it's not just about price it's also about competition so there's a lot going on here i'm curious like I feel like sometimes we're just replaying stories that Microsoft had to deal with, with Windows and Internet Explorer, like 15, 20 years ago. But here we are. What um, I, I'm curious what you all think about this idea that Google is using its great power in one place to be uh, back to Spider-Man again, to be maybe not showing great responsibility in another place. Uh, Serenity, what, what's your feeling about uh, about Google and its and its powers and what governments can do to stop them, if anything? I mean... So I'm not against antitrust lawsuits and just especially I feel like the way that the EU is going about it is a smart, uh, a smart instance, which is essentially I think competition is uh, just as important, if not more so than price, because the issue, you know, Google, like Apple, like Amazon at this point, is a gigantic company with major tools to wield. Um, and Google can vary. We've, we saw that in um, in the story about search optimization and rankings, right, uh, that came out a couple months ago, where it's like Google can change its algorithm and bankrupt people and put them put their put their website out of business. Um, so I think it goes back to the, the dilemma of like, you know, 
Google Google's current board could not be, quote unquote, evil about this. Right. Maybe Google's board was like, oh, well, we have the best shopping results. So, of course, we're going to prioritize them. Um, But that doesn't mean that that's going to be the thinking of Google forever. And if they're allowed to get away with something like this. Um, when, you know, there might be fairly benign reasons for prioritization, that opens the door for things down the road, which are maybe not so benign and uh, are a much, much bigger deal, not just to Google's customers um, in that, you know, Google's Google's ad customers and Google search customers, but the end user as well. You know, if, if there's no other company and no competition, then you have to get stuck with the status quo. What what makes uh, I'm really interested now and just like, I guess, like in a big picture sense of like what this means when essentially we have like about four or five companies that essentially run <laughs> a lot of our lives yeah. and they're they're not necessarily like at the point where they could be regulated. I mean, if you think about it, like Bing, DuckDuckGo could be doing these uh, same exact things, but since they're not as ubiquitous as Google, nobody really cares. And it's just really interesting just to see like what happens, like as we were talking about earlier, when you kind of have all the power and you're dependent so much on a company, but this company is a private company, but they are like the harbors of so much information for so many people. Um, and like you said, they can put people out of business and I'm interested to see where this goes and like what other companies may be looking at fines in the future. But I'm really interested in that point right now. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that that, you know, you could say this about Google, you could say this to a certain extent about Amazon, you could say this for a, a really good extent about Facebook in terms of the power that it has too. And, you know, monopolies do happen. And, and you could argue that the internet makes them um, more likely. Uh, and we've seen Microsoft being an example that th- these often have this trajectory of they, they seem like they can never be beaten, and then they're beaten. And I hate to be somebody who talks about the end of history, because generally history repeats itself. But I do wonder if these players are at least smarter and more aware of their vulnerability than somebody like Microsoft maybe was when uh, it looked at its Windows monopoly and said it's never going to be beaten because they were right on one level and on another level it turned out not to matter, right? But uh, I do wonder if maybe like when you see Facebook buying all the different services that it's bought and Google all the companies that it's bought and the money it puts into R&D, that they're trying to stave that off. And that is, that's, that, that's the scary thing is like, uh, if you've got two companies that control sort of everything that people read and see and find on the internet and is their gateway to the internet, then, you know, that's a lot of power. And then we have to count on them not to misuse it, which is it's scary because they, they it, not to not to say they haven't earned their place <laughs> at the top, but like then they can use that. There's always that tendency to leverage that power into other markets, which is why stuff like this comes up and, and why, you know, why Microsoft got dinged in the 90s. The idea that you're using your monopoly over here to just pick winners and losers over here. And guess what? You're the winner every time. Oh, it's not nice. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm always uneasy. I don't know how you guys feel. I'm always a little uneasy when courts and, uh, and governments come into competition when, you know, theoretically competition is the, is the, is the, uh, is how our economy is, is based and tell businesses how to do it because often their advice on what businesses should do is bad. The Apple ebook thing is a good example of that where it's like, you've made less competition now. So thank you. But at the same time, you know, I don't think it's necessarily right for Google to favor its own business over other people when it's basically become a monopoly and it's like a common utility at this point for most people. Yeah, it just really reminds me of like how um, the whole conversation about is Facebook considered a news source now? And should that now like should the information on Facebook be treated um, with like the kind of like journalistic standards when a lot of people, that's where they get their news. Like that is their news source and Google is their search search. So it's just 
I don't know. It's interesting. And any um, any change to Facebook's policy about what gets what gets distributed, what gets not even necessarily that it's allowed to be posted, but like what's allowed to be surfaced, what what algorithmically it des- decides is real and not real, um, or acceptable or not acceptable. Like on one level, you got to think, well, that's good because people post things that are not true and they get spread around. But at the same time, once they have that power, they could very easily decide that the thing that you wrote that totally is true is for whatever reason not acceptable and and it doesn't get spread either because it cuts both ways. And it's just scary to have any one source, especially if we don't know really how it works, have that much power over uh, such a huge population. It's um, and no matter how good hearted they might profess to be or might actually be yeah it's terrifying (laughs) (laughs) i already didn't like facebook but uh and i use google stuff all the time too and i I, you know that's that's the challenge here ben thompson wrote a great thing on stratechery this week about this and and he talked about that you know consumer benefit like there's no denying the consumer benefit of searching for a product on google and finding shopping results right there's no denying that it's more convenient for consumers to do that and the european union is saying hmm but you you know you shouldn't do that and and that's a really interesting question of like you know we're always going to go to the more most convenient thing all right that's fair but how do we get it so that that doesn't mean that google swallows like all commerce on the internet that isn't already swallowed by amazon <laughs> now i'm depressed we just all use cash and just go do <laughs> things the grid. in public <laughs> off the grid farmers markets um yeah yeah cash transactions that's that's the way to do it all right um let us talk about some other stuff before we do that i want to remind people where they can find us you can follow us on twitter at underscore download fm you can always see all of our episodes on the web at relay.fm slash download and if you've got any story suggestions for us we are in the summertime not a lot is going to happen find quirky stories stories we might have missed all of that stuff hashtag download stories on twitter and steven and i check that out throughout the week and we appreciate you submitting things there now speaking of a story you might have missed i wanted to at least mention this really interesting story that i found today written by eugene Y, i think his name is w-e-i way why i'm not sure how to pronounce it i tried to find a pronunciation of his name and i failed it's called the age of distributed truth and it's a really interesting essay i think it'd be worth your time to read it and the idea is that there are lots of truths that historically have hidden in plain sight that people have talked about but because there didn't exist an engine of conversation that amplifies those very small quiet truths like the internet they didn't get spread around and his example that he uses and it's an amazing example is that apparently for years, Nora Ephron, the writer who was at one point married to Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein fame, would openly tell people at like parties who Deep Throat was. And she figured it out from clues that that Carl Bernstein had told and she shared it with people. And um, apparently nobody believed her and it was a big reveal when the the person Mark felt uh, admitted that he was deep throat in 2005 and and the point of this essay is things are changing and that truth is able to be distributed in much more effective ways than it has in the past of course rumors also are distributed that way but but that the exa- an example like that an example of things that were sort of known by a group but not known widely can that happen anymore or will these truths come out in a way that they maybe could have been suppressed before? And it goes, it mentions the Bill Cosby case, which was a case where uh, there were stories about Bill Cosby circulating for a very long time before it went viral. Would that happen now? And uh, it talks about uh, one of the allegations of um, of uh, sexual harassment in Silicon Valley and how that was an open secret and how the truth eventually did come out, how the truth came out about Uber uh, through a Medium post, all of these ways that maybe are society has changed maybe in terms of things that were unspoken or were quietly spoken now um being more visible it's a very thoughtful interesting essay i think people should check it out it'll be it'll be linked in our show notes and probably in the podcast app you're using right now if you want to go read it it's at eugeneway.com all right topic number three this week amazon's echo show which was announced a few months ago 
arrived in the hands of reviewers and people who ordered it on Amazon. It's an Amazon Echo, you know, the lady in the canister who talks to you, except now it's the lady in a kind of weirdly shaped plastic box with a TV attached to it <laughs> who talks to you. And I, so I wanted to I wanted to note that it has arrived and it's an interesting tech product and it's a little bit weird. Stephen and I have them too, so we can report on that. Um, it is a fascinating fascinating little little product steven you want to you want to give us your uh, initial take on this echo show before we uh, talk about it yeah so i've got an echo in the kitchen the full you know full height one and have an echo dot here in the studio it's on my desk right next to a fake plant from ikea they kind of hang out together there in the corner and i really like the echo i like the service i like that it can control all my smart home stuff and i can ask it questions and it can tell me the news and so I was excited to see the Echo Show maybe bring all this to a new level, but very quickly that excitement was not shared by everyone in my household. Uh, my spouse was not super interested in having a screen in the kitchen. And so very quickly the idea of the Echo Show, and then when it finally arrived yesterday, was quickly banished to my office. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> as far as a product itself, I mean, it, it's, if you look at pictures of it, it's not. It's not a handsome device. Hmm. It's not good looking at all. But the speakers are great. The screen is nice. Um, my my biggest com- complaint about, or maybe we can maybe we can hold that off. But I do have some complaints. Um, but I do have to say, Jason, you and I had a video conference yesterday, and I saw you in your kitchen. Yeah, that's right. Because I I did put ours in our kitchen, and it has not yet been banished to my office. So yeah, it does video chat. Oh, if only we had uh, handheld devices that could do live video chat. Wait a second. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's although I, I had I had that grandma moment right, which is like, oh, we give one of these. I mean, my mom knows how to use FaceTime; it's not a problem. But I can see somebody saying, "This is how we get uh, a, a video chat device in the home of somebody we know who's a relative who." Does doesn't have a device capable of this or doesn't understand it and you just set it up plug it in and like it makes noise when you want to talk to them i don't know it seems like we have so many it it was also a little glitchy but i imagine that'll get better i just don't envision that i'm going to start making video and audio calls on my amazon echo seems weird yeah yeah it was a little glitchy you got stuck with your arms up it froze and i thought you were just staying there in a funny position. You were robbing me. I was afraid that you were going to stick them up. Yeah. We've talked about voice assistance on this show a lot. I've probably, Ren and I have talked about it, I know, before. Uh, what do you think about this idea of screens coupled with voice assistance? Because the uh, this, is, this seems to be the next trend, although it's interesting that Apple's HomePod will not have a traditional kind of video display. But then again, when you use Siri on, a, on an iPhone or an iPad, it's going to put things up on the screen too so you know ren are you interested in do you have a, do you have an echo and would you be interested in something with a screen or is it not the point of the product for you i have several echoes i've got an echo in the kitchen and then a couple of dots and then i most recently got the echo look to review which i am oh boy still very uh hesitant about but yeah, uh, I have absolutely no interest in the Echo Show. And maybe that's just because I like the idea of, how, or I mean, I have so many devices with FaceTime on them. I'm like, if I want to have a static device that has FaceTime, I have my Mac. If I want to have a portable device that has FaceTime, I have my iPhone. And I'm not in the case. I don't know. I just, I understand why Amazon is making this product, right? This is Amazon's way of getting into the chatting atmosphere and uh, building. And I understand the grandma effect. I understand, like, I get the concept in theory. I could see how it could be a very useful kitchen gadget because you could be like, you know, uh, use your watchword of choice. Computer, uh, how do I make scrambled eggs? And then it shows you the recipe. You can call up a YouTube video showing you how to do it, too, which is, I yeah. Mean, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea. It is a cool idea, but that's also what I have my iPad Air 2 in the kitchen for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, I, I actually do. I have an iPad Air uh, 2 with a, with a waterproof sleeve that I use all the time for cooking. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of not sold on the idea, but then again, I wasn't super sold on the Echo to begin with, and I ended up getting one and and loving it. So uh, TBD, I I do like the idea of having some kind of screen, Um, although I don't really look at my Echoes currently very often. 
um, having readable content again, um, going back to the idea of recipes, when I have to look up a recipe or ingredients or something like that, I almost always use my iPad or my iPhone in a waterproof sleeve rather than trying to deal with it on the echo. Cause it's just not everything is, is perfectly suitable, uh, to voice only interaction, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of meh. James, do you have uh, any of these assistants in your life? Uh, So I have a Echo Dot in my apartment, and essentially it's just become a weather device (laughs) for me and my partner because New York apartments. So we don't necessarily have a lot of like the home automation stuff. Well, actually, we have none. Uh, And once I put like the Echo in our apartment... I definitely became sold on like using the voice for various things, you know. Um, but as far as the show, I'm not. I'm kind of. I'm kind of with Ren here. I'm like, I'm not really feeling it. And I think just because I don't personally have a use for it, I'm in the kitchen a lot because I love to cook, and I usually just carry in my um, iPad Pro and just set it up, have my um, recipes ready. Um, same for FaceTime too. Um, it's like the best lighting in the house. I'll go in there, call my family on the weekends while I'm cooking and show off my food to them. Um, and yeah, I, and especially now with like a uh, Google duo, um, I can now talk to my family that have Android, uh, uh, phones and I, I, I don't really have a use for it. Um, but I can, I appreciate them trying. I appreciate them like saying like, all right, like maybe this could work Um, because maybe could push um, other companies in that direction and see like, are screens necessary for these um, people in the tubes or are they not? So I'm just kind of keeping an eye on it and I'll let uh, you and Steven do all the (laughs) testing. (laughs) (laughs) One of the funny things about it is that, you know, it is a disembodied voice, and I think one of the powers of the Echo and one of the reasons why I like it and prefer it to like talking to my phone is that it's just this disembodied voice in the room. This The microphones are so good that it doesn't really have a direction. It's just in the air of your room. And putting a screen on it gives it a direction. Like You have to like look at it if you want to see what's on it. And I'm not sure if that is... I'm not sure if I like that, the idea that now it has a, a, a much more physical presence a much more active location in my in my house if that makes any sense because that screen uh demands my attention in a way right Stephen? Yeah, that's that's definitely my complaint as well and i've got it on my desk so it's very close to me and this i could just touch it the uh the screen will will set will fall back to a clock after a while but it detects motion and so anytime i move at my desk it comes up and the home screen is a series of I think I think they're calling them cards and it's basically a you know a rotating carousel of like some news stories if you have your Google calendar set up it'll show you your next event and that's fine I guess when you walk by in the kitchen but when it's so close to you I find it very distracting and and I think what's really nice about the echo is that it just fades into the background and the voice assistant is there when you want it but it's not pushy And this thing feels pushy in a way that I really didn't expect. And again, part of it may just be my very close proximity to it. No, I don't think it is. It's spammy. It feels spammy in my kitchen, too. And right now, there's no way to turn that stuff off if you don't or or customize it. So it's like you walk by and there's some weird news story, news headline from somewhere on. It's like, I don't want to see that. Like, I just, I don't, maybe somebody does, but I don't want to see it. And right now, I can't say, hey, lady stop showing me this crap like i just can't do it so it's 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 frustrating so it's not just you it's it's even even if it's nestled away in a kitchen somewhere you still notice it and it's present in a way that i like it to like you said fade into the background that's the beauty of it is when you're not using it it's just like it's not there right i mean the the sort of the the idea i think for me behind these voice assistants is that i don't have to think about it just wherever i am in my house you know i can just say something out loud and things happen hmm. right that, but if that's not the case or if we have family over or we're doing something else then no one knows that technology is there right they may see the echo and know what it is or they may just think it's a speaker or a really weird like pepper grinder but it's not it's not present <laughs> in the way like something that has a screen is 
And I think that's a line that I'm just uncomfortable having crossed now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I agree with you. Although I think to James's point, um, I kind of appreciate that Amazon is throwing like all of these different Echo products against the wall. Like, well, let's see what happens. Cause the Echo was a little like that, right? It was a little bit of a totally wacky product and it turned out to be a hit. So they're like, all right, let's do that again. We'll have this one that with a, with a video camera that, uh, that you put in your closet and we'll have this one that you set on the table and we'll have this little one that you plug into speakers and who knows what the next one will be. Um, I'm not sure this is the right approach, frankly. Um, but maybe it is, right? And I guess we'll find out. And um, the nice thing is that the history of the Echo as a product is iteration. Like, they don't just release it and then, and then not change it for a year, Apple. Uh, they constantly are adding features to it. And if they keep doing that to the Echo show, it could become much more interesting and useful than maybe it is today. But today, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. So maybe... The, it's great that those those of us who have them, we're on the we're out there on the cutting edge. We're we're trying it out. We'll see if it's a thing or not. I'm not sure it is. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. I should remind people what's going to happen next week, which is there'll be some fireworks, at least in the United States, because it's the 4th of July. It's a long weekend. Uh, that also probably means that it won't be the most exciting news week in the world, although you never know these days. But it, be on the lookout. <laughs> if you see something interesting, hashtag download story, send it to us, because we will be, you know, we, we got to do one of these shows every week. And sometimes there's a lot of stuff that happens, and other times, not so much. So help us out with uh, after the long weekend with some suggestions of stories that we should cover. Um, but that's it for this edition of Download. Serenity Caldwell, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, people can find me on imore.com, where I'm the managing editor, as well as actually on Relay starting soon with uh, with our very own Stephen Hackett. Special secret project. Mm. Which, can, we, can we see the name yet, Stephen? Or is it still special secret? Yes. Query. Query. Yeah. Query Q&A podcast um, about all your tech questions. So, yeah, that'll be fun. And James T. Green, where can people find the stuff that you do? A couple places. So if you want to hear about um, like my adventures in eating pizza in New York, you can find that (laughs) on Twitter at underscore James T. Green. Um, as far as the things that I do um, for my day work, I'm over at Gimlet Media. I'm a producer and reporter at The Nod. You can check that out at gimletmedia.com slash The Nod. And outside of that, I host a podcast with another relayer, Alex Cox, Yay. called Refresh. Um, and you can find that at refresh.simplecast.fm and another podcast with my buddy Cher Vincent, where we talk about the human side of technology at Open Ended. Um, so, yeah, that's where I am on the Internet. Awesome. Podcasts here, podcasts there and Twitter. It's a good, a good mix. <laughs> good mix. All right. So thanks to both of you. Thanks, Stephen Hackett and your strangely smooth face. I hope you don't scare your fish with that face. <laughs> fish, fish can't understand people faces anyway. Anyway, I am Jason Snell. Uh, happy Fourth of July to you in the United States. Uh, and until next week, after the long weekend, at least we'll be watching those headlines. So you won't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.